Welcome back to The Edge. I'm Steve Brigman here in the Bass Edge studios with Aaron Martin. The Edge is presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Guard your boat against grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps with Keelguard Keel Protector. Aaron, we have a pretty special show today. Steve, we do, and I am excited as we have the 2012 Bassmaster Classic champion Chris Lane on deck. Then we'll head out to talk with Randy Howe as he is going to be speaking to us concerning spawning bass. Finally, the other highlight of the show is we're going to tell listeners how to save 15% off of all their tackle purchases. We've got a lot on our plate today, so let's just get after it. Get her, boy. Good job. Well, I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge in bass fishing. That. That's full contact fishing right Man. there. Fishing's going to be tough, but we'll catch it. This, this is a good place. It's all about figuring it out. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh dude, did you see yes, that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios. High above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Well, boy, Aaron, it's it's tough to be inside today. It's becoming such a beautiful time here in the Ozarks. Nothing like spring here. We've already got buds on the trees, and I've even heard a few turkeys gobble. Just something about those first signs of spring that just tickles the fishing bone in you. I've kind of felt the urge to gobble lately myself. <laughs> oh, boy, I can see you uh, walking around the studio gobbling. We're going to have to write that in the Policies and Procedures book of Bass Edge that there's a no-gobbling policy. But, you know, speaking of which, Steve, I know obviously you did not hear those turkeys gobbling while setting in your Lazy Boys. So uh, were you out experiencing the outdoor? lately oh yeah i played hooky i shouldn't have but i couldn't stand it went out roamed my favorite little trout creek yesterday had it to myself just sort of a beautiful day in the woods turkeys gobbling mink running up and down the bank uh sort of got my head together out in the woods well speaking you know of nice weather it's uh, hard to believe we're almost four weeks removed from the february 29th tornado outbreak that we had here in southwest yeah. missouri and kimberling city and branson and wow talking about being way in advance of, of what the weather patterns are doing We had some bad, bad storms. You know, my phone started ringing at 2.30 in the morning. Fortunately, Diane and I were actually already in the basement. But uh, Everstart actually had a tournament down at Kimberling in which uh, for those of you who've probably seen the the pictures on Facebook you know that took a pretty direct hit had a lot of anglers a lot of friends of Bass Edge that were actually down there competing in the event one guy in particular his room you know actually all the walls were gone and he essentially rolled off the side of the bed and somehow miraculously kept from getting sucked out but uh, a lot of structural damage a lot of damage to boats and trucks but fortunately Steve no one was fatally injured and you know it's nice to see how the community is kind of stepping in and and really helping those that were distressed and and put out of their homes um rebuild well i tell you what that was pretty close down there to your place we were just tickled to death to hear that you and diana and maya were not affected by that storm but uh yeah it's been crazy you know the tornado thing's been crazy lately of course we've had joplin real close to us here last year and you know our thoughts are always with our neighbors uh, when they have to go through that kind of thing but it's part of spring and of course another part of spring is that good weather that warming weather that you know that urge to go fishing always makes me think back you know as a young guy, a very young guy, you know, to me, spring just meant chunking crankbaits early, progressing up to spinnerbaits, just waiting for that topwater time. Boy, that is always kind of at the top of my radar screen, something about fishing that topwater and that anticipation that that's just right around the corner. But, you know, Steve, we have spent a lot of time talking about the weather. And, you know, one of the things that I like to do quite a bit is actually fish vertically, obviously. But it's almost like those fish just kind of were there for a little while, but just totally totally bypassed, you know, that hole hanging out on the ledges and in the depths and, and moved into that secondary stage getting ready for spawn due to the water temperature and the seasonal conditions that we've experienced. And, you know, now I'm kind of taking that vertical fishing to a different level, trying to target those pre-spawn bass that are actually schooled up. Still, you can, rather than setting over top, watching them on the graph, I'm staying off, throwing that drop shot up to that first piece of cover adjacent to those spawning flats, and just sit there and really letting the weight hit the bottom, but working that bait in a static position to where that drop shot weight stays on the bottom, but I've got, uh, you know, a little bit of enticing action on the worm or the particular bait fish uh, mimicking style of bait that I'm actually using to entice those schoolers 
you know, that are ready to move in and, and get to it. Well, that's just like you, Aaron. You just can't turn loose of that deep fish. <laughs> Each year, that's your thing. And I, for me, I can't wait till they get up in there, you know, till they get up there where I can see them. But you do go through this transition, and, and, and you're talking about, obviously, fishing vertically. But, well, the time comes when those fish get up, scatter over the spawning grounds, and, and you really need to cover a lot of ground fishing horizontally. What kind of baits do you like to use just up on those flats looking for those fish well you're right and it's it has less to do with um you know i think all anglers can take heed to the fact that we're not really looking for a particular spot but rather types of spots so i'm going to transition more into areas that are protected from the north winds uh going to the again if it's uh, in that pre-spawn situation i'm going to go into the spawning flats first to see if anything's moved up if not i know i just need to basically move right out to that first secondary point maybe a dock maybe some structures some wood anything that's adjacent to deeper water particular baits i like you said you hit the nail on the head cover water and present that bait uh, horizontally you're making long cast you know obviously the alabama rig that thing has been beat to death all over the press so i'm not going to dive off into that too much but some of the old staples are going to be the crankbaits something that i can fish those tree rows or or the outsides of those docks where those fish are just moving up and down to find that comfort level because what we know is that's where they're going to stay close to that deeper water they're going to move up and down as that pressure changes if the bait's close by obviously they have everything that they need food shelter security comfort those are the areas that i'm looking for then as they start moving in and out as they move closer to the bank to the shoreline start relating to that you know crawfish crayfish become their particular forage and um, you know then we're going to want something that is going to resemble more of that crayfish pattern like a wiggle wart you know something that has those colors those browns those reds and oranges in it and you know you can't forget the old staple the jig yeah i noticed you were trying to sneak back out in that deeper water <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's so true. But I really liked your comment, and it's so true about not searching for a spot. Like, see, when you're out vertically fishing, you were on a certain ledge or something like that, but these fish are scattered, and we're not looking for particular spots, but we're looking at ty- for types of spots. You may find, like, you know, little protected bays or little areas on creek bend swings or something. But when you find a fish, when you catch a fish, notice the conditions, and you can almost go back on your map and look at the find absolute similar conditions and most likely find fish. So you're sort of developing a pattern more than looking for places where there's fish. Absolutely. Pattern fishing, it has to be because too many times we've launched the boat on our favorite lake. You know, we've got this spot in particular where we caught them yesterday or the year before or various scenarios, and then we get there and there's four boats setting on it. Develop the patterns. Pay attention to when the fish do respond look at your map, and then go try to duplicate that throughout the the body of water that you're fishing, whether it be bluff-in, secondary points on the south side, you know, what have you, chunk rock to pea gravel to docks to timber, all those things come into play, and, you know, that is going to set you up to have a lot more success when you're out there on the water. You know, and speaking of uh, going all over the lake, Steve, we picked up the new Legend boat actually not too long ago. That was my next question. if, If I understand my calendar right, we ought to be wrapped and ready to go let me just tell you Aaron I'm ready yeah, absolutely you got the keel guard wrap on there looks good of course uh, now you're not going to be able to go around in quite that stealth mode Steve with that nice red and black big keel guard sign down the side of it so uh, <laughs> I guess you'll have to come up with some other you know incognito way to to run around the lake on your so much for blending in you know but (laughs) anyway hey looks like we've got chris lane ready to go let's take a quick break and uh let's go talk with the 2012 bassmaster classic and legend pro chris lane you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Terry Backsay. Hi, I'm Jamie Cyphers. I'm Diddy Brower. This is Michael Murphy. I'm Randy Howell. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam, and you're listening to The Edge. 
We are back on Bass Edge Radio with the 2012 Bassmaster Classic champion and Legend Boats Pro, Chris Lane. Welcome to the show, Chris. Man, glad to be here, guys. Well, it is a pleasure to have you. You know, Chris, I was sitting here when Steve and I were kind of reminiscing about the first interview that we did together for Bass Edge back in 2006, all the way back at episode number nine. And you had mentioned really the influence that your family has had on your involvement in fishing and kind of the camaraderie, you know, that you share with your brothers. I guess that's probably even more real given your recent success. Oh, it's so much more real and really, you know, created even a stronger bond amongst all three of us because, you know, from my grandfathers and uncles and dad and mom, you know, from even my mom taking me and my brothers fishing in the John boat early in the morning, you know, she'd take us down to the pit and drop us off. So, you know, the, the whole family experience has been has been unbelievable, and we've learned so much from our granddads and dads and uncles, but I think more so we have learned in the past from each other and, and have strived off of each other. Well, Chris, here you are just about a month removed from winning the biggest bass tournament in the world. Uh, have you come back down to earth yet? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, congratulations. Uh, man, thank you so much. It's been, uh, it's been a wild ride, and... Uh, you know, you can't explain it. I can't explain the emotions that, that were on stage, you know, when I haven't got to see the whole show yet all together, but when I watch it, I, I want to see it again and uh, and really kind of relive that because, you know, you, you get done with the classic and then you got you got interviews and you got so much to do, and it's crazy. It's, 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 you can't explain it. You just cannot explain it. Well, Chris, now let's talk some fishing. Tell us how you caught your classic fish and walk us a little bit through the process of how you arrived at the right combination of baits and presentations. Well, you know, the first day, you know, the water temperature was 62 degrees, 63 degrees, so I knew the fish were going to be shallow. So I fished uh, this area right by the, close to the boat ramp, and, and the fish were in there. Other boats were in there, and man, we flat hammered them. I mean, we caught fish after fish after mm. fish. I was throwing a, a, a gambler ugly otter and a lucky strike too, and uh, lost some key bites in there, but kind of kept my head and really, you know, fish through that area. Marty Robinson and John Cruz were both in there, and everybody caught fish. I mean, we just kept catching them and catching them, and I was fortunate enough to get a really big bite out of there, probably a four or five pounder, and then, uh, you know, I, I felt that we had really hammered that place pretty good, and then I went and ran to another spot and didn't catch anything there and ran to another spot, and I was able to catch like a probably a four, four and a half pounder out of there, and that's what really gave me that 16 and a half pounds, and and, you know, flipping the tube into the into the cattails and the dirty deeper water on later on in that day. But the first morning, you know, the water was warm and the fish were shallow, and I really concentrated on the on shallow water fish. Then it got really cold. I mean, there was ice on the boats. You know, I mean, thick ice. And that next morning, I concentrated on on a little bit deeper water and caught them on the gambler ugly otter that day. You know, didn't get a whole lot of bites on the tube that second day, except for at the very end of the day, the water started warming up. I went back in the pool five. I went where I caught that uh, four, four and a half pounder on the first day and caught that 511. And that 511, when I caught that towards the end of the day, it came a realization to me that I just put myself in contention to win the Bassmaster Classic. And it was, then it became real. Then the pressure started building. And, and on the third day, not having a fight till 11 o'clock, you know, or something like that. And then, you know, from 11 to 11.30 or something like that. However it worked out, I mean, it just went on fire right then. And staying focused and not letting the pressure get to me, I think, was, uh, was the biggest thing. But, man, true miracle absolute miracle on that last day chris you mentioned it actually a couple times just in your in your recent response there concerning pressure you know and with any sport there's a lot of pressure that we place on ourselves but specifically in fishing you know there's certain elements and variables that are out of our control how much does pressure affect your decision making especially when you're in contention to win the Bassmasters classic well it affects it big time and and the pressure just keeps building and on that final day, my release valve was fixing to go. <laughs> you know, I was fixing to blow that area and go somewhere else and stuck to my game plan, really just uh, stuck with it. And within probably four or five casts from leaving that area, I caught that big one, uh, that 6'10", and that kind of 
took a little bit of pressure off and said, okay, now let's concentrate on, on finishing out a limit and doing the best we can. Well, Chris, you're kind of known as a sort of a topwater guy and uh, love throwing those topwater baits. And we're moving into that part of the year in a lot of the country. Let's talk about early topwater period. What conditions are you waiting for to tie on that first topwater for the first time each spring? Well, you know, topwater is, is an excellent way to fish and, and an excellent way to get some big bites. Condition-wise, I'll tie a, uh, like a Gunnersville snack fruit frog on or something like that or throw a gambler cane toad over some fish that, that some late spawners, you know, up in shallow water. But, but this time of year, you know, especially down in the south where a lot of fish have already spawned, topwater is an excellent way to go because those fish are out, they're looking for something to eat, and uh, I'll throw a whole array of baits and, and really try to, to figure out what those bigger fish are wanting. Well, are you, are, are you waiting for a certain water temperature or, you know, just a, a certain condition, weather condition, water height, water clarity? Are, are you keying in on certain areas? Can you go a little more into detail as far as how and when kind of myself would basically take that approach? Well, water clarity is a big thing with top water, you know, because that bait's sitting on top. So you got to have somewhat of water clarity so that the fish can see that bait. And, you know, water temperatures, you know, has to be up in, you know, for me, I really like it above 60. And, and that means that if the water's been above 60 for a while, then you actually have some post-spawners out there. And post-spawn fish, you know, really love to eat top water bait. Well, I know you had mentioned way back when that uh, I always remember the story. I believe it was your dad ordered some just unreal amount, 500 and some devil's horses one time, and they had to put on the order that you actually, <laughs> <laughs> actually, yes, he does want this many. You know, is that still part of your repertoire, or what are some of your favorite you know, top water baits that you like to use. Well, that one will that one will be part of of my arsenal my whole entire life. It was actually my granddad that uh, that was all he threw. That was it. And you know, that's what we learned to throw because me and my brothers would try worms when we'd be in the boat. We'd try other things, and man, my grandpa would just keep catching them, and we would keep going back to the devil horse. And uh, you know, that's one thing about top water fishing. And, you know, family and stuff like that, because when you put all that together, you go back to your roots. You go back into your mind to where when you pull up to an area and it kind of reminds you of a kid, you know, man, I remember back then I caught like a bunch of, you know, good fish on top water in this kind of condition. And then you put that bait on and then next thing you know, you're catching fish again. So, you know, it's it's really neat. And, you know, going back to being a kid and me, Arnie and Bobby and our birthdays and our, our you know, report cards weren't always the best report cards in the world. I can promise you that. We would get a devil horse. You know, we that's what we would get from my granddad. So it was pretty neat. Well, that's the way to raise a kid right there. You, yeah. you make you make a hey, you get it you get a top water. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, uh we're sitting here talking about fishing top waters and I think, you know, you kind of associate that with this sort of the, the, the beautiful day on the lake. And I think we all sort of envision this walking a spook through the back end of a shady cup you know, early on a warm day. But, Chris, share with us some of the extreme conditions that you've caught fish on topwater baits before. Ah, some of the extreme conditions. You know, when, when you have windy, windy, windy conditions, you know, I love to throw a cane toad. And a cane toad is a topwater. It's a swimming frog. The reason is is because I can throw that a long, long way. And when you're fishing down in Florida, you're fishing vegetation, and it's sparse, and you can get a, a weedless frog through there somewhere you can't really throw a, a topwater bait, a walking bait, something like that. You can really cover a lot of water, and with a little ripple on the water, you know, like you, if it's real windy and out on the front side and you go around the island or something, you can get back in there and, you know, it's got the water moving and that's when you can get some really big bites. Well, Chris, on talking about, you know, throwing the cane toad um, and the swimming frog, you know, there is a difference between, let's say, throwing top water to heavy vegetation versus using it in an open water situation. Can you kind of break down the two and how you tackle, you know, the difference between the heavy cover that you're targeting uh, versus kind of an open water situation? 
question. Yeah, with an open, open water situation, you know, I'll tend to throw like a walking bait or something like that just because, you know, you can you can work it a little bit slower or you can do this to where in, in heavy vegetation, you know, you throw that cane toad out there and, and you can work it on top the whole time. And if a fish comes up and tries to get it, you know, it doesn't knock your bait into grass or something and you get hung up. You reel it in, you throw it back over there, and you can catch another one. So, you know, clear water, you know, open water, I tend to throw like a, a walking bait or a prop bait or something like that to where in heavy vegetation I'll stick with either the snag-proof frog or a cane toad. Can you talk a little bit about as far as terminal tackle? You know, I mean, there's so many line variables that are out there now. You've got the super lines, you've got the monofilament, the fluorocarbon, but then also just, you know, not only the line, but also just kind of the type of rod that you're actually using you know to get those baits basically to the boat yeah absolutely you know on a cane toad or a swimming frog or a snag fruit frog or something like that where i'm throwing into heavy vegetation you know i'll throw that on a seven four all-star rod with like a like a seven to one or a six to four revo reel and throwing that with string super or sonic braid because you get in that heavy, heavy vegetation and you have a fish blow up on it and it's way out there you know you got to make sure you got the right equipment to get that fish all the way back to the boat and and the one thing about the gambler cane toad i'll throw it on the double trouble toad hook which uh which gambler makes and it's got two hooks in it so you really have a lot better hookup percentage on that on that hook to where with with walking baits or prop baits or something like that i'll throw it on like a seven to one rod because you know i want to get that right action on that bait and with a longer rod you can't quite get the action that you want at least i can't so i'll throw it on a little bit shorter rod and i'll throw it on monofilament i use strand root strength i want a little bit of stretch and the reason i throw it on monofilament is because it floats and it's somewhat transparent compared to to a braided line it's what i've done since i was a kid and you know i've learned through that i've thrown some fluorocarbon on top water on top water bait even though i i get some bites that bait doesn't work the same because the line sinks well that's certainly good information because i think a lot of us don't take into consideration you know of matching up the terminal tackle with the bait that we're actually throwing and let's face it you know it really comes down to making sure that our bait is ultimately we're getting that action to entice that fish into biting but you know chris Kind of to uh, to take off in a different direction, we receive a lot of questions from our listeners. And Jim Setnick from Trafford, Pennsylvania, he wants to know, do you ever fish a tournament where you just don't find any fish or any keeper fish during practice? And when that happens... How do you plan your tournament day? And again, that is from Jim in Trafford, Pennsylvania. Absolutely. You know, that happens. It really does. And and the one thing that I've learned is when you're out there, you know, take an area that maybe you caught a couple small fish in and, and the conditions are getting better. You know, does that area have potential? You might go back to it in the event and give it an hour and see if there's something there. If not, I'm running new water. Um, and, and that's probably a hard thing to do, but you got to run the water, and in your head, you have to think, okay, I've hit 15 spots through practice, I ain't catch fish in either one of them, so I'll go run something brand new, you know, or, or go out an extra 50 yards or something, hit that next drop and change presentations and just try to figure them out during the tournament. And ultimately, when you do that, you will find out that those will be some of your best tournaments. Well, Chris, we heard you talking about fishing with your with your family from way back, and, and people took you fishing when you were a kid. And we know that along with your fishing, you have a passion for getting kids involved in fishing. Tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're involved with. Well, one of the major projects is, you know, when we were kids, we went to Tom Mann Outdoors and uh, up there in Newfall, Alabama, and he would run a huge kids fishing tournament, BB gun shooting, casting contest, and all of that stuff. And 
you know, we, me, Arnie, and Bobby will never forget that. Even my sister would go there, Kelly, and she she would come home with just, you know, my dad had a minivan, and we would just come home, and that minivan would be packed with, I remember, true turn jackets and, and rods and reels and stuff like that. And it was something that we looked forward to every summer. And that's, you know, I, I run a camp now that is going to be a little bit more exciting this year, but uh, it's called Reeling in Future Pros. And what we do is, you know, we get with the sponsor companies and, and the bait companies out there and, and so forth to to make sure that we give these kids the means to go fishing. And we teach them how to do it. We give them seminars at the day camp. And we just really kind of make sure that they have the means to go fishing, whether they have somebody can take them or not, whether it's throwing a rod and reel in the pool, whether it's going out in their backyard and trying to cast into a bucket, just kind of giving them, you know, the means to make sure they can go out there and, and enjoy the sport of bass fishing because there's ponds, there's streams, everything, whether it's catching a brim, a bass, a catfish, just that pool on the line can change a kid's life. Well, it, it certainly can, and uh, I just think that it's so important with what you're doing and it's so important for us as anglers to be able to continue the sport and pass that on because let's face it that's that's really what it comes down to and how we're going to get others involved in the sport well chris we certainly realize your schedule is is very busy these days but before you leave any closing thoughts or or comments before we get off here closing thoughts i'm going to tell you what it is one wild ride being the Bassmaster classic champion and and the one thing that i can say is that we look forward to it we love it it's what we do and we are going to keep it real man because uh it's an excellent sport and and our job as as all anglers is to grow the sport well fantastic advice there chris once again congratulations on your deserved success thanks so much for being on bass edge and we wish you the best of luck both on and off the water thanks guys for having me on at legend boats we have one agenda to build the finest bass boat on the water it's our passion our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Wow, Skype to cloud nine. <laughs> that, that guy was fired up about his win. That was just great to hear. Boy, it was. And, you know, I can't think of a better person, more deserving, and um, just really happy for him. You know, that certainly has changed his life now forever. Hats off to Chris Lane, and uh, great job. Well, that's for sure. And I'm ready to change my life in one way. You caught my attention earlier when you started <laughs> talking about saving some money, Aaron. Can you can you uh, share with me how I can save some money? Oh, yeah, and you're, you're going to need to save some money. No, actually, a big announcement. And if you don't have a pencil and paper, grab one or hit uh, replay after I say this, because Bass Tackle Depot is extending, as you know, they sponsor our listener question segment. And uh, they have extended a special deal for all Bass Edge listeners and Facebook fans on our Bass Edge page. And that is, independent of whatever it is you're, you're buying, doesn't matter brand, doesn't matter what you're buying, but all listeners will receive 15% off their entire purchase. Wow. All you have to do when you go to the checkout, you select the items. Under that promo code, just enter in B as in boy, E as in Eric. So that's B-E special. Just simply enter in that code, and that will automatically save you 15% off your entire purchase. So thanks so much to Bass Tackle Depot, and thank you for listening. Well, that's going to cause me some problems right there because yeah. I'm going to be on shopping soon. But uh, uh, just in time, just in time for spring. Well, Aaron, we have another listener question. Need to give away another BassTackleDepot.com gift card. And this comes from Gary Cherry of Wingat, Pennsylvania. Got a Pennsylvania show going on today. That's it. 
Gary says, I fish a group of mountain lakes in Pennsylvania that have always provided great bass, smallmouth and largemouth, literally hundreds a year from three to eight pounds, although I often wonder how many deep fish I pass by. Most of the lakes have deep spots with large truck-sized boulders mixed with rubble. Seems that anything that touches the bottom becomes part of the lake. My best success has been lipless crankbaits, hybrid swim jigs, and topwaters. Any thoughts that might help? I've been carrying around drop shot rigs with six-pound test from the hook to the bent piece of aluminum I call a drag sinker. I've gotten walleye and smallie doing this, but it wastes a lot of resources. Thanks for your help, the G-Man. All and that's right. Gary Cherry in Wind Gap, Pennsylvania. Sound like we need to be calling the G-Man, asking him questions. I want to go fishing with him if he's catching that many fish. Absolutely, you know, and uh, I definitely would like to get in on his boat, that many three to eight pounders. But good question, Gary. Appreciate you sending that in. And, you know, thoughts are there. I, th- I think you've got your arsenal. I think uh, the ones that you named off there that you're already employing, uh, very good choices. I would also suggest, you know, one of the things uh, actually spending a lot of time on Table Rock being a highland reservoir, clear, obviously very rocky, uh, has a lot of boulders, a lot of that ledge rock, a lot of timber that's in it. You know, a lot of times we're doing the exact same thing, and you got to be careful because obviously there's a lot of gnarly stuff that's down there that you get uh, get hooked up on. But I would certainly add to your repertoire a uh, suspending jerkbait. You know, get that to dive down, something that is going to set there that you can twitch, work uh, a little, uh, depending on the water temperature, but kind of let the fish give you some feedback. You know, if, if, as the water temperature warms up, you're going to want to work that a little bit faster. Obviously, in the cooler times, you're going to want to let that set there, maybe present uh, three to five seconds in between your jerks. Another thing that I think is highly overlooked, one of the most simplistic baits on the market that I do tremendous with uh, in those type of situations is going to be just the grub. It's one of the cheapest baits to fish also, but um, you know, an eighth quarter ounce, depending on the depth that you're trying to get it down to, and selecting that three and a half to five inch, try and match the hatch on, on what they're feeding on. But uh, that shad colored grub, you know, in the, in the clear water situations, I use that natural shad color or that smoke with uh, a little bit of, of uh, black flake in it. When they start feeding on the crawdads, if I'm trying to actually get that down and actually get on the bottom, then I'll go to something that has like a smoke with a red flake in it to kind of mimic uh, those crayfish that are down there. Also, you know, don't hesitate to, um, on that drop shot, you know, you don't necessarily have to be dragging that along. Use your graph, get that graph tuned in and spot those schools of bait fish and chances are around those boulders there's going to be some bass that's holding right under those bait fish so there you have it and there you are gary thanks so much for sending in your question and for doing so and having that question chosen you do receive a 25 dollar gift card to BassTackleDepot.com. Well, you know, Gary mentioned anything that touches the bottom is lost, you know, and, and we fish in, in some areas like that. We're really rocky, and it is easy to get hung up and, and difficult to fish sometimes, but I might just throw in that, you know, sometimes that's where the fish are at, and you've got to fish. You know, it's, I think in different parts of the country, too, you know, they're back in the brush, and you're going to have a lot of trouble fishing that brush, but if that's where they're at, lures and everything aside, your best tool is patience. I can remember a certain situation here where we had some flooded water and all kind of stuff was washing down the, one of the rivers and the fish were just going crazy but you couldn't keep your bait clean because of the stuff flowing down the river more than just a few cranks on the reel but if you just had the patience to pull that stuff off each time just keep going back we hammered them so uh just some patience and you know, don't be too timid about fishing on the bottom. You know, one thing we use here in the Ozarks a lot is uh, a shaky head. And sometimes you can fish it somewhat vertical, and they do pretty good about not getting hung up. Anyway, we appreciate it. Good to hear from you, Gary. And like I said, I may give you a call. I'm, I'm ready to come up there and catch some of them smallmouths. <laughs> but uh, enough of me babbling. we got Randy Howell on the phone, and that's going to be uh, very cool, one of our favorite people. I bet you he's going to talk about sight fishing. I would almost bet that he's going to talk about sight fishing. And somehow I've got a feeling, knowing his uh, proficiency with the crankbait, that'll be worked in there as well. So let's get to it. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. 
Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Under the lily pads in a lake near you. Live bass happy and free until one man with a huge resume and immeasurable experience building the finest rods in the world changed everything. Gary Tobbins offers three full lines of tournament winning rods. The Champion Extreme, Champion, and Savvy Series. Dobbins Rods, when fishing is more than a hobby. Hi, I'm Moses Mokawahi. I'm Sean Hernke. Hi, I'm Jared Littner. Hi, this is Chris Lane, and you're on the edge. Well, as promised, we are tackling the topic of spring fishing in the second half of today's program. And on board to provide us with his abundance of knowledge is a guy that has his own bus for his tournament groupies. Elite angler, Mr. Randy Howell. How are you, my friend? I'm great, guys. How are you guys doing today? Well, we're good. And, uh, man, it's certainly good to have you back on the show, Randy. Randy, it's good to be back. I, I, I miss fishing with you guys down here in Alabama. We had a good time that day, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, I, I mean, we did. It's getting about that time of year, too, man. It's the spring, you know. It's got the stuff already blooming here. It was just kind of yeah. early for us. But, uh, anyway, you know, April's upon us at kind of that magical time for a lot of us bass fishermen. And I know you'll be outside fishing soon, if if not already. Randy, how early in the season do you begin trying to visually spot fish? Well, see, that's a good question. Usually, uh, you know, as you said before, we're, we're, we've got a really early spring this year. We hadn't had a hard winter in the south or out in the uh, Midwest a lot either. And dogwoods are blooming everywhere. And the old saying, Keto Hibben, I heard say years ago, from the good old Missouri accent, he said, when there's a dogwood a-blooming, there's a bass stuff standing on the bed somewhere. And uh, he told me that one time, and I've always thought that's true. <laughs> and uh, I start looking as soon as that water temperature starts to hit that magical 58-degree mark. That's kind of the magic number for me. And as soon as you see that, especially overnight, 58 degrees in the water first thing in the morning, you know somewhere on the lake a bass is bedding. Well, Randy, if, you know, of course you're looking for those fish to, to move up on the spawning beds. But before that happens, you know, there's, there's something that's, that, that's really important, I think, that we need to be aware of. And that's where are you looking at for those, those fish before the water temperature kind of lures them up to those spawning areas? Well, usually, Aaron, when that water gets in the uh, low 50s and mid 50s, you know, those bass move out of that deeper water from the wintertime and they kind of start funneling back toward those pockets and, uh, you know, long ditches and arms off the lake. And, and then those points and secondary points, especially with uh, pea gravel and small rock, chunk rock, you can actually get really good patterns going on most lakes uh, by catching one here or there and then kind of figuring out what type of rock or what type of point they're on or if they're on a little bend in the pocket, you know, and you just kind of follow them back. They just move back in stages, you know, day by day by day by the water temperature, uh, and then they get back into those spawning areas when it starts to get in the upper 50s. So what are some of your favorite baits when searching for these pre-spawn fish? Well, I'll tell you, when it's, um, I, I really love jerk baiting, and jerk baiting is a great technique to catch big fish on and and usually a real cold winter uh, makes a jerk bait bite even better but this year we've had a real mild winter and i think a lot of fish have kind of bypassed that suspended cold uh water technique because the water's not really gotten really cold but uh, i like a pointer 100 or a mega bass 110 anything in the shad to white pearl type colors those those jerk baits are really good. Mullix has a good little U-bar jerk, a little suspending jerk bait. So those type of things, 10-pound fluorocarbon, you know, jerk them off those little secondary points and stop and go, stop and go, suspend, retrieve, and you'll catch some fish that way. And then when they bypass that and they get on the bank, then you start shallow cranking, which is one of my favorite techniques of all. 
and then I'll shallow crank, you know, anywhere from that, you know, one to six foot range with uh, square bills and small round bill crankbaits, you know, little mullocks crankbaits that are the super shallow ones all the way up to the medium divers. The Sculpo line is what I like to use on that, uh, Sculpo crankbaits or little bandits, little DT6s, things like that. Well, Randy, is that because, I mean, when you go from the suspended more to the, the shallow cranking, is that because the fish and the bass are, are related more towards the bottom and, and kind of starting to target more crayfish? Yeah, I think that's what it is, you know, because they're, when they first come up, they're they're suspending on that water level, trying to get that warmer surface water, but they they don't want to commit to the shoreline yet, so they're kind of in that I think five to ten foot suspended mode, and they kind of float up and down the water column there with the sunlight, and then as they start getting active and they move to the bank. That's when they start rooting around in the rocks and the gravel and clay for those crayfish, and that's when, you know, the the crawfish patterns, you know, orange, reds, those colors, that's why they get so good usually in, you know, mid-March, late-March, and all into the April month. Well, you know, Randy, a lot of times, certain times of the year, cold fronts can be really, I guess, an advantage uh, for us as bass anglers, but really in the spring, you know, it's kind of that dreaded thing. You know, you look at the weather the day before you're going out, and oh my gosh, you know, it just starts messing with your mind. What kinds of adjustments will you have to make on those pre-spawners when that cold front comes through? That's the um, miracle question that everybody always wants to know, man. And I, I tell you, I, I do struggle with that every year, and I've done this nearly 20 years now for a living, and you know, the only guy that masters that 100% usually is Van Dam, unfortunately. But <laughs> I've gotten... Uh, I've gotten a lot better at it, but still, the main thing uh, you have to think about is uh, not to get too set and focused on one particular pattern or technique or lure because things change so drastically with cold fronts and wind, and you kind of got to let each day determine what you decide to do. So you, you never take that trident boat out with doubt a load of tackle in it. You got to have all your, you know, from your 20 foot football jigs all the way up to your. Uh, you know, shallow cranks and soft plastic jerk baits because you never know after a couple of days they can move back out off a drop off or they can move back in on a flat. So you just got to be ready for either thing that happens. Well, when that cold front does clear out, it's time to go sight fishing. And I know you love it. And you know, to a lot of our young guys that watch you guys do this, you know, it sort of looks like just, just go out there and look for them and catch them, but it's just not that easy. <laughs> what are the, some of the biggest mistakes that young anglers make in sight fishing? Probably the biggest one that I see, you know, and young anglers do and old anglers alike uh, is getting too close to the fish when you're trying to catch them on the bed, you know, because those bass, you know, they're relatively smart. Some days we put, we give them more credit than we should, you know, because they outsmart us more than we outsmart them. But still, they have a pea-sized brain, but they have really good eyesight. And if they see you, you're not going to catch them near as easy as you are if uh, they don't see you. So once you see that fish, more likely he's already seen you. So the further you can stay back and fish for that fish, the, the better off you have a chance of catching them. You know, when they get very, very protective, they've got the bed, eggs actually on the bed. You know, that's about a quarter, 50-cent piece size area on that bed where the bass have their eggs, and those they'll protect that area. A lot of times people, you can get closer and closer when they're really, really fired up and the water's warm, and you can stay, get closer to them. But if you want to catch them quick and be more efficient, especially as a tournament angler, you need to stay back as far as possible and also even a lot of times uh, get back away from the bed where you don't even see the fish you're not even visibly fishing for it you're just blind fishing for it by marking it either putting a little small buoy close to it or like a like a lot of guys in florida do they stick little cane pole sticks or little reeds in the ground and then leave the bed and roam around for a few minutes and then come back and blind cast at that stick and you can catch it a lot faster. Yeah, that sort of leads my, my next question. Of course, I know when I'm cruising through the shallows looking for fish, you know, you're looking off in this direction, looking off in the other direction. And too many times you just, whoa, I'm on a fish and you've come up too close on a fish. When you spot a big fish like that and you think you've spooked it or lured it, how long do you think you need to back off to, to get that fish to respond the way you want? Well, most of time it's a pretty quick deal if they're locked on the bed pretty good and i'm trolling motoring down the shoreline like in a tournament when i'm searching for them uh, i keep the trolling motor running on kind of a low to medium speed and as i go by a fish and i spot him i don't even take my foot off the trolling motor because any change in sound 
actually will spook them worse than if you just keep the trolling motor going. So I'll just keep riding mm-hmm. by on the trolling motor, and I'll stand real still, and I'll just keep it slowly cruising, and I'll just kind of give it a wide berth and roll out around it and keep moving, and I'll keep looking back. And in a clear water environment, you can see further away, of course, and if you see that fish, sometimes they they won't even run off the bed. If they just see you, your boat moving by like a parade, they'll just sit there and watch it. But, but when you let off the trolling motor, it makes that quick little stutter step in the boat so to speak and then you see him shoot off and you just kind of keep your eye on that fish see what he does and if he stays there as you go by you pretty much know that's one you're going to be able to catch in five or ten minutes but if he runs off like a scared cat you know and you roll out and sit back and wait for a minute put your power poles down look up there and he's still not come back or he's kind of sitting 10 15 feet away from the bed kind of watching that's one you might as well keep on moving because it's not ready yet well randy when we watch you on tv and read the magazine articles you know we hear a lot about you guys and and how you find the beds you'll set waypoints and then you'll go back to those you know for later times in the tournament how often or what has been your experience you know with the females that actually move in on the nest and how long will they stay locked on and you know do you go visit those throughout the the course of the tournament or say your fishing trip while you're in town usually uh, it still matters a lot and the location of, of the region you're in and the water temperature is really important because in the mornings like that's the problem a lot when tournament fishing because you find fish you'll mark them on your gps you'll go back first thing in the morning you can't see good a low light if you got a cool morning a lot of times those fish are real spooky on cool mornings and uh, because the water temperature drops a couple of degrees and they're not going to leave the bed but they will be more spooky around that bed they'll stay around it and keep their eye on it and they'll run perch and bluegill things like that off but they're not going to lock down and bite your bait nearly as easy as they would if you come back a little later and that's the problem a lot of times we'll make a run to a big you know six pounder on the bed everybody races to it you know, one guy sits there and you can't see it or you, you think it's gone and you finally give up and 10 people come by and think, well, somebody's already caught that fish. And then you show back up at 11 and it's sitting there locked on hot and heavy and you catch it in, you know, four or five flips. So you got to kind of always wonder and think about that water temperature in the morning and go to the fish and then come back and check them several different times. And then changing colors on baits as well uh, when you do get the fish on the bed, you know, in a real clear water lake. A lot of the male bass I can catch on my bright, you know, my pinks and my whites and my really bright chartreuse colors like the chartreuse uh, little Yamamoto lizard. That's one I use a lot, uh, especially with the male bass. But those big females seem to be a little smarter. Sometimes I can catch them on those bright colors, and I'll always start with that high visible color that I can see to make it easier. But if that fish is not responding quickly to that color, then I change back to my natural green pumpkin, uh, green pumpkin, red flake, watermelon red, those colors that are real natural. And those usually, that is usually the colors that I'll pick the bigger fish off with. Well, you mentioned earlier, you know, when we were filming in Alabama together a couple years back, and I remember back then we were talking a lot about color changes, and that was a big deal for those particular days. And I know that color can make a huge difference sometimes, and, and other times not so much. Tell us about a couple of experiences in your fish where a subtle change in color or pattern has made a big difference. Well, it's happened a lot uh, over the years to me, and it still happens, you know, every year there's several situations, and if you make the right adjustment and the right decision, you know, you'll always be more successful. And unfortunately, sometimes as anglers, we get zoned in on one particular color and we get confidence in that color, and sometimes they, you know, they don't want the color, whether we like that color or not you got to keep changing around. But I've seen uh, with plastics especially a whole lot. You know, I've made just subtle changes in several tournaments in the in over the years that, you know, just fishing a pumpkin seed and change to a green pumpkin color on a, on a worm or a lizard or even a cinco, especially on a cinco early in the year when I'm throwing a cinco around. There's a lot, a lot of fish that'll bite one particular solid color, you know, kind of a bright color like a, a pearl white or orange or something like that, and then I'll make the change to the green pumpkin if the sky gets bright and clear, and that natural color always makes a difference, and fish will start responding a lot better. Well, Randy, when we've been around each other and, and the Bass Edge crew uh, in our various uh, filming and things that we've done, but all the time, uh, you know, I, I've always thought to myself, now, 
there is a guy who absolutely loves to fish. Talk to us about managing, you know, your attitude on the water, both for success in catching fish and also really just, you know, getting the most out of your day when the fish aren't necessarily cooperating the way that you want them. Yeah, that's that's also a good question because I tell you, more the more I do this, the longer I've done it now. I'm 38 years old, and there's I seem like every year I look back and try to figure out what I could have done better and how I could have performed better and done better in my tournaments every year. Even after a good season, you know, and I make the classic, you still, if you don't win Angler of the Year, you still haven't done the best that you can do, I think. And for me, uh, I know that it's more mental attitude and more between the ears there than it is on the water, and that's what I've tried to get better at. And I've gotten better as I'm matured at I'm not letting little stuff bother me as much as I used to. You know, when I was a lot younger, you know, I could get shook up, rattled real easy in the first two, three hours, especially when you have a great game plan, you've got a good pattern, and you really have a good area. You get to it first, and you're all excited and jacked up, and you're shaking and casting 100 miles an hour, and, you know, in 10 minutes you don't have a fish, 30 minutes you don't have a fish, and then your mind's going like, oh, my gosh, you know, did they move? Did what happened? You know, and you start getting that panicky feeling, and that still naturally comes to anybody, no matter what anybody says that feeling comes to you in a bass tournament. If you, you're an hour goes by and you don't have a fish in the boat and you had a good game plan, you start really worrying. And that's what I've learned to not sweat those small moments like that early in the morning on tournaments. You just got, I try to start at a good, fast, steady pace, but I try to pace myself throughout the day because it's not really how you start, it's more how you finish. And that's how you, uh, I think you win tournaments and make adjustments and you got to keep changing through the day. And late in the day is where I always... I've seen over the last several years that I excel and I, my, my limit will usually grow little by little through the late day when I stay focused and positive and, you know, don't let the little things and the little changes that I have to make, you know, ruin the day. And, and also when other anglers, you know, because we're getting so much pressure on lakes with tournaments now and, you know, you get out there and you find a great, you know, big shoreline pocket or a great area of grass bed and you get there and you've got 10 other tournament boats around there that have found the same thing. And uh, you know the fish are there, but a lot of times you psych yourself out by seeing other guys catch fish around you and it starts messing with your head and, and you end up ruining your own day just because of uh, the circumstances that develop around you. So you really have to stay focused and know if I found the fish here uh, and there's 10 boats around me and you see a few fish being caught, you got to know there's probably a 1,000 bass. I try to tell myself constantly there's a 1,000 bass right here. All i got to do is catch five of them and I stay focused, put your head down. And if you're around guys and you don't like seeing them catch fish, you know, I wear a hooded sweatshirt, put your hoodie up over your head and pull it down where you can't see around you and that always helps. Randy, we've got a listener question today. And it's from Jim Setnick from Trafford, Pennsylvania. And Jim wants to know, do you ever fish a tournament where you just don't have any fish or keeper fish during practice? When that happens, how do you plan your tournament day? And again, that's Jim from Trafford, Pennsylvania. That's a good question, Jim. I tell you, there that happens so many times to fishermen, and it happens to me as well. And I tell you, over the years, it's happened so much that I've developed a, probably a better positive mental attitude when that happens than I do get train wrecked. You know, because the first thing you start thinking when you don't find fish in two or three days of practice, you start the tournament, and you really don't really have a good starting spot. I know so many times I've said, you know, I've told guys, man, I got boat number five, and I don't even have a good place to start. And what happens with that is my mind continues to search and think and a lot of times I, I, I build my confidence level up because I've eliminated so many places so many techniques and patterns and now I've got a fresh new day tomorrow I'm not going to waste all this time doing all the things I've done the last few days I'm going to go here and do this or I'm going to just go fishing and I'm going to flow with the environment what's going on and you know I'm going to start cranking I might go drag a football jig I might throw a Carolina rig I might go fish top water or whatever and you start trying to develop a new confidence of things that you haven't tried yet and a lot of times man I've had some of my best tournament days when I did that and I didn't focus on the negative side of not finding anything in practice but I stayed focused on knowing that if I hadn't found it yet it's still there to be found and I'm going to do it today well Randy you'll be happy to know that uh, you just brightened Jim's days 
for you choosing his <laughs> question, he received a $25 gift card to go spend on Tackle at BassTackleDepot.com. So there you have it. But uh, there, Jim, a- is there if that works for you, <laughs> give me 10 of that. Yeah. So I can buy a few packs of hooks. <laughs> you're, you're as new. <laughs> you can be his new agent. So um, as always, Randy, you have raised the bar on bass fishing education. It has truly been a pleasure having you on again with us. Anything you'd like to add before uh, – I guess you got to go off and sign autographs for all your crazy fans that's probably standing outside your door. I don't know about that, but uh, no, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, and you know it's great to have good programs like Bass Edge to keep guys informed on what we're doing out there on the water, the little changes, little lures, different things like that, and mostly just uh, get out there and go fishing and have a good time, enjoy this you know warm spring we're having, and uh, I'm excited about the season. You know, follow me on. Uh, facebook.com slash randy howell fishing and if you're a twitter fan uh, i am the randy howell on twitter and then it's randyhowell.com keep up with us and we're going to be selling t-shirts to raise money all year for the king's home you can get that on my website randyhowell.com or kingshome.com and we're also going to give my boat away and you know i want to add that also a hundred dollar donation to the christian nonprofit charity that helps kids and women here in alabama we'll give that boat away in november seventy thousand dollar package you know for a hundred dollar tax deductible donation you might win that boat so keep up with us on all that and uh, if I can ever help you in any way, don't hesitate to send me an email. Well, as always, Randy, uh, such a consummate professional, so involved in things other than just being on the water. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you on and also our next adventure. Who knows what lies around the corner? So thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Take care. Why did they consistently win? Why did they know about all the latest and greatest baits? BassTackleDepot.com, of course. BassTackleDepot.com is your headquarters for all your bass fishing needs. With over 100 different manufacturers in stock, including Dobbins Rods, Bassaholics Clothing, Boat Bling Cleaning Products, Black Dog, Pepper Baits, Jean LaRue, Jack Allure Company, McCoy Line, not to mention a talented staff of hardcore anglers ready to assist your every need. It's no wonder Bass Tackle Depot is where the pros shop. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. Boy, that Randy Howell, I tell you, it's always a pleasure to have him involved with anything that we do here at Bass Edge. Just really full of information and seems to always kind of shed a different perspective on things. Well, that's for sure. And, you know, it's just good to talk about side fishing. You know, Randy always says something. You know, even if it's just a reminder, like don't get too close to fish or sight fishing. Well, duh, okay, you know, everybody <laughs> knows that. But I mean, really, it, it's real easy to just keep sneaking up and sneaking up to get a better look and you spook those fish. And, you know, just listening to interviews like that, even for guys that's been doing this forever, just some good information, good, good reminders. And it's just always fun to talk to Randy. Well, and speaking of reminders, Steve, you know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about today is is concerning the term match the hatch. And that's really a uh, kind of a term that came out of, of fly fishing, right? Yeah, it is. You know, in fly fishing, of course, trout, their primary food source is aquatic insects that begin their life cycle in the mud and the gravel and the bottom and the substrate of the stream as nymphs uh, become emergers where they emerge to the top and then at the top they're and then on the surface they uh, have to let their wings dry out as adults and they fly away so you know what you're trying to do as a fly fisherman the term has become match the hatch is to match not only the species of insect that the fish are feeding on but also uh, the stage whether that's a nymph an emerger or a, an adult well and that's an interesting point i think because when you hear match the hatch it's like okay well what does that mean and you know i know specific to bass fishing not only concerning bait fish but also crayfish Uh, It has a lot to do with the size, meaning this year's hatch of the bait fish, whether that be a gizzard shad or a thread fin or or whatever. But again, recognize what 
the particular type of forages and then look at this year's crop on what they're feeding given the uh, in relation to the seasonal conditions that you're in. Steve, I remember, you know, this has happened a couple different times. One in particular was drop shotting. That's how we came up with those hair jigs that you tied for me. Uh, just saw, you know, one of the bass that I caught, it uh, regurgitated up a uh, bait fish. And I just took that, threw that in a Ziploc plastic bag, put some water in it to preserve it to bring to you so that you could actually not only match the size, but also match that color pattern. And you know what? The rest was history because obviously that jig that you tie for me is phenomenal. Likewise, same way with a crayfish. You know, how many times have we brought a bass into the boat? It's coughed up a, a crayfish that it's been feeding on. We'll take that and look at it and look at the size, look at the color, and then go to either your crankbait, if you're using, you know, it's kind of like a wiggle ward or something like that, or your jig. Go through and you'll, you can pluck out the number of strands or add strands of color to really match that size. You can cut the skirt to the length to really make it a compact or if they're feeding on those larger crayfish, you know, leave it more of the mop style. So anyway, I think all of those things are very important when it comes to bass fishing. And just by paying attention to the subtleties, that's really how you're going to put more fish in the boat. Well, that's for sure. I, I know we've, I've seen you at collecting up, reaching over for uh, <laughs> dead critters in the water. And and uh, I remember we were up in Vermilion. The little crawfish would actually hang on to our plastic baits. And that is there, you know, there it is, man. Take that little crawfish, you know, throw him down in your box and say, what does he look like? That's right. And, you know, in that particular situation with Jonathan Van Dam when we were up there, I specifically remember, you know, both of us got down in the boat and then we started digging for tubes that, that actually matched that. But uh, anyway, unfortunately, we are out of time. But before we get out of here, I just want to give a shout out to all of the college anglers that I had the opportunity to spend some time with back around the first part of March. So great to see uh, you know, our, our next generation that's that's coming forward and really taking a leadership role in the sport of fishing and talking about a group of conservationists. You know, hats off to you guys, and uh, thanks for being part of the edge. Now, they were here at Table Rock, right? They were at Table Rock, and they were in town for um, basically it's the was the first regional college fishing event through FLW Outdoors, and they were all participating in that, and I had the opportunity to uh, take the Bass Edge Keelguard Wrap Boat, kind of show for them around. I was in charge, basically, of running the combustible engine, but was not allowed to give you know any information or run the trolling motor or anything like that so it was it was really neat just sitting back and observing and seeing those guys get to work now tell me the truth watching people fish you were okay with that i absolutely was okay you know steve uh one of the things that i i have found in my life of course i wasn't always like this it's taken some maturity to to get there but um you know i can always learn to see you know new people come in that's not even from this state on a new body of water and how they pick it apart boy it was just really really refreshing well that makes me nuts i've gone down and been an observer at a couple of the Bassmaster classics when you go out with one of the guys and sit there and watch them fish Nah, that ain't for me, man. It was, that's, uh, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you need to take some of your own earlier advice about patience. So there you go. That's the key for the day. But, no, unfortunately, we are out of time. Just want to throw out a congratulations to this week's listener question winners for that BassTackleDepot.com gift card. Jim from Trafford, Pennsylvania, and also Gary from Windgap, Pennsylvania. Congratulations to you guys, and if you haven't done so, participate in the action. Get those questions sent in, and you too can have that opportunity to win that $25 gift card. Also, don't forget, to all Bass Edge listeners and fans on our Facebook page, BassTackleDepot.com is extending a 15% off your entire purchase. Simply a checkout in that promo code, enter in BE Special to save 15%. Finally, check us out on Facebook and be sure to follow us, Steve and I, our blogs on BassEdge.com. Have a great week, everybody, and thanks so much for listening to The Edge. The Edge is presented by Kill Guard Kill Protector. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit www.bassedge.com. And be sure to be with Steve Brigman and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, BassTackleDepot.com, PowerPole, Dobbins Rods, Mercury Outboards, and Rapaholic.com. 